the buy-in for AEW All Out starts. The buy-in is basically the the pre-show starts. And Jim Ross is having a sit-down interview with CM Punk. Great interview. Jim Ross asks the hard-hitting questions. And CM Punk just sits there answering them honestly. Neither of the two men paying attention to the camera. It honestly sounds like, and the way they've set it up is perfect. It's two people having a conversation where there just happens to be a camera in the room rather than most modern interviews where the camera seems to be the main focus. The first match on the pre-show on the buy-in is Orange, Cassidy, Chuck, Taylor, Wheeler, Yutta and Jurassic Express versus Matt Hardy, Private Party and 2THQ. Matt Hardy and Chuck Taylor start the match off. Hardy knocks Chucky Cheese into the corner and tags Orange Cassidy in. Orange then tags Luchasaurus in before Hardy tags in Jack Evans to face Luchasaurus. Jungle Boy gets tagged in and starts to do some flips and tricks before he is slowed down. Okay, this match is ridiculous. And I have just noticed the referee in it. So of course it's broken down and they're doing tomfoolery and bullshit. It's... Rick Knox, the middle-aged Bucks' favourite referee. The only two that aren't embroiled in this weird eight-person submission is Matt Hardy and Orange Cassidy. The rest are in some weird eight-person submission, which should not happen, as there should only be two in the ring at a time. The moron referee is just letting it happen. So, I am going to continue watching this match, but this match has fallen into the impact rule I will rate the ending of it if it's above 5 stars if not it doesn't get rated but I will tell you what tag team wins which team I should say wins because I've already started the review but matches like this in future 
will not be reviewed. After a lot of flips and tricks and dance routines and bullshit from 90% of the participants in this match, eventually Jungle Boy locks his submission on Angelico and Angelico taps out. At some point in the match, THQ, right, is that's their team name. The announcer started calling them TH2. When they first came down to the ring, they were announced as THQ. Their graphics said THQ. After the match, however, they are now TH2. Which I'm not sure how that works or why, but okay. It makes no sense, but this match was just a lot of bullshit tomfoolery. And just these guys fucking about, basically. Next, we are joined by the tag team, the Men of the Year, a.k.a. Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. They have the... There's three people standing next to them. I don't know who they are. They haven't been introduced. And the best... And the men of the year, I should say, are cutting a good promo. It's one of the best promos they have cut so far. The guys they are with are now introduced as American Top Team. They have an old guy with them who... The only way I can describe it is would be the Jim Cornette of AEW, where he tells them that 90% of the roster are small, which is true. Basically, this old guy who's a war vet tells the truth about AEW's shortcomings while working for AEW. It's a new heel team which I think is great. This is a heel team we can all get behind. The old guy is called Dan Lambert, it seems. Only after he cut a Jim Cornette level promo, a God level promo, did he announce who he was, which is perfect. So, the buy-in has been on for 57 minutes and 53 seconds where you had Jim uh, where you had Tony Schiavone and Excalibur now we get the legendary Jim fucking Ross yep JR makes his way to the ring after he took a walk around the ring taking time to say hello to the fans he walks to the commentary table sits down and looks at Excalibur and says sometimes you have to give the people what they want
Sometimes you have to go and say hello and be part of it. Sometimes you can't just sit up here and scream. You have to be part of the AEW universe. You have to know when to talk, when to give good commentary, and when to be quiet. You have to know when to immerse yourself, when to greet your fans, when to greet the AEW universe, when to soak it in, and when to do your job. Go on, Jim Ross. You tell Excalibur. The first match on AEW All Out 2021 was the AEW TNT Championship. Miro champion versus Eddie Kingston. Kingston had claimed ahead of the match that he identified Miro's neck as the weakness. Kingston did focus his attack on Miro's neck, hitting an early exploder suplex. Kingston tried to hit a crossbody from the ring apron to outside, but was caught by Miro, who turned it into a power slam on the floor. Great reversal. An absolute great, great reversal. Like, yeah, I wasn't expecting that, to be honest. Miro maintained that momentum with a grinding attack that included a huge drop kick as Kingston kept trying to fire back with chops to the neck. Kingston battled back with a Santana suplex before absorbing Miro's strikes and firing back with more of his own. Miro focused his attack on Kingston's back and locked in a game over his submission only for Kingston to manage to reach the bottom ropes. This is the first time this has happened. A frustrated Miro turned into a DDT but the referee was trying to reattach the turnbuckle leading to a delayed count. The referee then prevented Kingston from throwing Miro into the exposed turnbuckle, allowing Miro to hit a low blow to score the pinfall and retain his title. This was a wonderful, hard-hitting match that got the pay-per-view off to a very positive note. Just absolute amazing. It was old-school wrestling. There was a clear heel and a clear baby face. If it wasn't for the referee not being where he was supposed to be, the match would have been even better. I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10. John Moxley versus Japanese wrestling Kojima. Kojima tried for a handshake before the match, only to be met with a middle finger and a barrage. Barrage of strikes after a wild start. Moxley hit a suicide dive before focusing his offense on Kojima's taped hands. Kojima fired back with a flurry of chops and a top rope elbow drop. Both men hit each other's face off the turnbuckle almost as if taking it in turns before both men then decided to bite the face of the other, which was some bullshit. Before Kojima hit a suplex, 
The exchange of big moves kept coming, including a Kojima buster. Kojima hit a lariat and a bulldog choke only for Ko- only to get a two count from the referee. Kojima then hit Moxley with a Kojima cutter, but was too tam- too damaged to go for the cover, allowing Moxley to take advantage and lock in a bulldog choke of his own, only for Kojima to break the hold by getting to the bottom rope. Moxley followed up by hitting the paradigm shift twice to score the pinfall. Great match. Great, great match. This is what happens when you get two talents that know what to do. It was a mixture of old-school wrestling, ground and pound, straight punches, big moves, and some high-flying moves. Now, that is what a match should be. After the match, Suzuki made his way to the ring to confront a shocked Moxley. Suzuki removed his shirt and got in Moxley's face before the two men began trading forearms and a brawl until Tsunaki hit a gotch power driver to lay Moxley out. So, recap. John Moxley defeats Komoji via pinfall. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Next match was for the AEW Women's Championship. Dr. Britt Baker, DMD versus Chris Statlander. Statlander immediately tried to use her strength advantage, but had to avoid an early attempt at a lockjaw from the women's champion. Baker cut Statlander's attack with a twisting netbreaker as Scatlander was seated on the top ropes. Scatlander fired back with her own power attack, including a modified... How did I write this down? A Mochaniko driver, which is what Excalibur was screaming. For a near fall, Scatlander missed the area... Four five one splash and Baker tried to pounce with a lock jaw only to see Scatlander counter and hit an axe kick for another two count. Scatlander missed a pendulum moon so salt from the ring apron and Britt Baker leaped off the ring steps for a big stomp. Back in the ring, Scatlander tried to lock in a spider crab submission but Britt Baker landed a series of kicks to the face to break the hold. Baker hit the Pittsburgh surprise and stomp, both resulting in near falls. Scatlander had nothing left after the kick out, and Britt Baker locked in the lockjaw to get the win via submission. Another match, another gem in the show that was building a great set of momentum. This match gets a 9 out of 10. Again, great old school wrestling, great back and forth, not too much high flying, just great back and forth. 
heel and babyface wrestling. I mean, come on guys, let's keep building on this. We're doing great. Next we have the AEW Tag Team Championships. The Young Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers. The Bucks tried to climb the cage immediately, but were caught by a flying dropkick, as expected. A consistent flurry of flips, tricks and dance routines with bodies flying around the ring. The Bucks repeatedly being tossed into the cage. Penta was eventually stuck between the ring apron and the cage where his head was kicked into the steel. A trio of cutters were hit before Phoenix hit a double cutter to be the last man standing in the wild exchange. See, I told you, flip, tricks and dance routines. I knew what this match was going to be. I've been telling you guys for the last two weeks. The Bucks hit a combination of tombstones onto sections for a near fall on both men. Nick Jackson drilled both Lucha Brothers with low, low blows, taking advantage of the lack of rules in the cage. The Bucks tried to rip off the masks of both of the challengers, taking any shortcuts possible as they took control of the match. Brandon Cutlet came to cage side and threw a big bag into the ring for the Bucks. Matt Jackson pulled out a sure coated in thumbtacks. Penta already bloody drove in front of Phoenix to take the kicks instead. Penta was then Penta, I should say, was then driven face first into tax multiple times, drawing even more blood. More flips, tricks and dance routines later. A BTE trigger on Penta only got a two count when Phoenix broke up the pin. Phoenix stormed back before driving the tack-covered shoe into both bucks, hitting a black thunder driver for his own near fall. Nick Jackson and Penta hit each other with a series of hit, hit of kicks, flips and dance routines before they hit each other with a package of pile drivers on the ring apron. I mean really it's just fucking ridiculous. Before going one on one back inside the ring before Penta hit a destroyer from the top ropes. A stomp assisted package pile driver only got a two count for the Lucha Brothers. They tried to do it again this time when Phoenix coming off the top rope. But Nick Jackson made the save before Phoenix came off the top of the cage with a crossbody, the Lucha Brothers hit a 10-10 driver to win the tag titles. There's no way to effectively recap a match that was basically flips, tricks and dance routines. You know, and this match gets a 5 out of 10. 
Yes, the Lucha Brothers defeated the middle-aged Bucks via pinfall to win the tag team titles. However, it was all flips, tricks and dance routines. So no, I didn't enjoy the match. A way to kill any momentum that you had going into this match. Next, we go into what I affectionately call the cool-down spot, which happens after every middle-aged Bucks match. Next, we have the Casino Battle Royale. The Battle Royale was a standard deal for AEW, with the batch of new entrants coming in, in competitors getting tossed from the ring and waiting to see... Who would get the spot as the Joker this year? The Joker was revealed to be Ruby Shaho, formerly Ruby Riot in WWE. The final four came down to Thunder Rosa, Taya Conti, Nyla Rose. Rose. Rosa eliminated. Rose to leave just herself and Ruby. The two women battled on the ring apron before Ruby hit a kick to send Rosa to the floor to win the match. The pop for the former Ruby Riot, Ruby Shaha, was huge. And yes, I'm pronouncing it that way because that's how the announcers pronounced it. See, it's a huge injection of life into this developing women's division. The problem is the women's division is booked by Kenny the piece of shit Omega. And unless you are a Japanese woman, you do not get a lot of spotlight on the shows because Kenny has his fetishes. Ruby won the Casino Battle Royale. That gets a 9 out of 10. One thing I forgot to mention. The former Ruby Riot has gone from ugly ass green hair, which sticks out in every match, to bright yellow hair, which sticks out in every match. Next we have MJF versus Chris Jericho. MJF spoofed the old Y2J entrance. Jericho made his entrance to just a live guitar rendition of Judas as the crowd sang along. The match quickly went outside the ring where MJF hit Jericho in the head with a metal pole before Jericho hit MJF in the head with a metal pole. So yes, metal pole shots back and forth. Once the match went back into the ring, MJF focused his attack on Chris Jericho's arm. The attack on the arm did not stop before MJF hit Jericho with a heat seeker on the apron, mostly scoring 
almost scoring him the win by count out. I'm sorry, I wrote these notes very, very quickly, and it is very late at night. Jericho managed to fight back after hitting a power bomb, driving MJF slower back into the edge of the apron. Jericho scored a near fall after a lion salt. Jericho went for a hurricane runner from the top rope, but MJF countered it into a power bomb. Chris Jericho is blown up by this point, and you can see he is gasping for breath. How many times do I have to say it? Jericho, you're not a cruiserweight anymore. You're a heavyweight. Work like a heavyweight, but bring back the old moves slowly and one at a time. If you're going to do them, only do them in pay-per-views. One at a time, like how Edge did at SummerSlam. Though the move hurt MJF own injured back Wardlow began making his way to the ring but was stopped by Jake the Hager the distraction allowed MJF to use Jericho's baseball bat to hit Jericho in the head then a laid out then landed Jericho's own Judas effect to score a near fall pin MJF then hit Jericho with the Judas effect again. To score the pin, despite the fact that Jericho's foot being on the ropes. A second referee came to the ring saying that Jericho's foot was on the ropes leading to the match being restarted. Jericho nearly immediately scored a pin, but MJF locked up an armbar. Jericho countered into a pin, then locked in the lion tamer to force MJF to tap. Remember the stipulation in this match? If Jericho lost, he would only be on commentary. Not the best match on the show, but it was a, a good enough showing, I guess from both men effective use of classic pro wrestling and amazing it it was an amazing match back and forth it's just Jericho got blew up and he got red in the face so much and I'm not a fan of all the heat that they built on MJF through this match just to end that way it was a Dusty Rhodes finish. Not that there's anything wrong with a Dusty Rhodes finish, but you don't use a Dusty Rhodes finish. Ending a match in a series that's been like this. Right, the match. There was great back and forth old school wrestling. Back and forth traditional moves. You had the great grapple spots, you had the great punches, great kicks, great traditional wrestling, a mixture of high flying. But 
towards the end of the match, Jericho was blown up. And that's all you effectively come away from the match with. Jericho blew up again because he's trying to do cruiserweight moves and he's not a cruiserweight anymore. So as a recap, a dusty finish, Chris Jericho defeats MJF via submission and it gets an 8 out of 10. If Chris Jericho wasn't blown up, I would have given it a 10 out of 10. But Chris Jericho being that blown up and it's him doing it to himself lowers the score to an 8 out of 10. Next we have Darby Allen versus CM Punk. And I have to say this is a match I've been looking forward to. This, this match... It doesn't matter if it was on Impact or any other show. I would watch this match anywhere. Darby Allen versus CM Punk. Especially as it's CM Punk's first match back in seven years. Sting hugs Darby before Sting walks backstage. If I'm right, I've noticed something. I'll let you know after this match if I'm right. Through Darby's entrance, the crowd in Chicago kept chanting CM Punk. I left it running then, just to see if you could hear it. Let me know if you did. Not only that, there are signs all over the place saying Chicago is punk country. his hands by his mouth like he used to before he shouts it's clobbering time he didn't even have to the entire arena when they saw his hands go to his mouth shouted it's clobbering time punk took his hands away from his mouth and just raised his hands (laughs) he put his hands back up by his mouth the crowd did it again took it away did it again. This time he shouted, it's clobbering time with the crowd. Yeah, 
Tarby Allen is sat in the right hand corner. Punk sits in the ring, in the centre of the ring, looking at Darby Allen. Now what I think I've noticed is that whenever Darby knows he's going to lose a match, he sits in that side of the corner. Not only that, his face can't hide the fact that he knows he's going to lose. That's what I think I've noticed. However, we'll see. Punk and Darby have not even squared up yet and the crowd is chanting holy shit best match ever all CM Punk and Darby Allen are doing is now standing up that's it and glaring at each other they haven't touched gloves or anything yet and the crowd is going this nuts the crowd are so pumped for CM Punk's theme, for CM Punk coming down to the ring, for CM Punk wrestling. This, yeah, is just, wow. I mean, this is a spectacle to watch. And they haven't even started the match yet. Darby, Allen and CM Punk started walking round pacing in the ring and there was a chant from the crowd in unison saying two more minutes before the bell two more minutes before the bell two more minutes before the bell Darby Allen and CM Punk looked at the referee they both agreed pacing round the ring has got the crowd cheering and so excited Finally, the bell rings and the crowd chant, thank you for the two minutes. I mean, this CM Punk, Darby Allen are making the most of this. They are making the most of the screen time. They are making the most of everything. The crowd is absolutely loving this. A solid square and elbow tie up which is where both men grab each other's shoulders and if there were babies they would have been thrown in the air at this point let me tell you the crowd all you heard in unison was yes the crowd starts chanting welcome back after this great first move is done they are still chanting, welcome back. Punk points at Darby and the crowd say no. Punk points at himself and they say yes. Then they go back to welcome back, welcome back. Again, Punk points at Darby to a no and to himself to a yes. This is amazing to watch. A great series of traditional wrestling grappling moves back and forth. As much as I don't like face versus face match. There needs to be a face versus a heel, a baby face. This is a face versus face match. 
and this match is amazing. It's a great series of back and forth moves, and I'm, well, I'm writing more notes about this match than I am anything else. I don't believe I've actually just written that down. <laughs> Never mind. But yeah, this match is absolutely just. It is just amazing. The crowd are, ch are chanting CM Punk, Darby Allen. CM Punk, Darby Allen. CM Punk, Darby Allen. They are cheering for both at the same time, which is great in this great, great match. Punk went for the GTS and Darby Allen shoots out of the ring for a regroup. The crowd chanting nearly, 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 nearly. Punk's gonna get ya. Punk's gonna get ya. Like this, we've had some high flying moves, but they have been perfect. Not too many. Not. Yeah, not too many, not enough. Just the perfect amount. I mean, honestly, this you could take this match and put it anywhere in the great wrestling cards of yesteryear. And it stands up to any. Derby built some momentum and CM Punk sold perfectly. Darby Allen for a split second didn't know what to do because he was expecting Punk to get up for another big move but Punk after a build of small moves to one big move stayed down and sold Darby then walked around the ring hyping up the crowd a bit which is normally reserved for the heels but in this match and how great it is, I'll look past it, I'll allow it. Darby took a bit too long coming back to Punk when he tried to pick him up to throw him into the turnbuckle. Punk reversed it. Darby flies out of the ring. The referee got to a count of eight and CM Punk looked at the referee, wagged his finger to say, no. The referee immediately stopped the count. Punk got out. Waited till the referee counted to eight again. Got in the ring. Looked at the referee. Then got out of the ring again. The referee got to a seven count before he then rolled Darby Allen in. Giving Darby some time to recover. As I'm not sure that's... That was supposed to happen to him to bounce off of the turnbuckle. And boy, did he bounce off of it and land awkwardly. CM Punk takes control, getting a series of near falls with some great moves. CM Punk gets a bit frustrated and slaps the ropes, turns round and Darby Allen hits him with a code red for a two count. 
the crowd after the two count. You could hear the entire crowd took a deep breath at once. The crowd have not taken their eyes off of this match. This is a great back and forth match. It's great styles of wrestling. From the grapples to a sprinkling the just the right amount of high flying moves, submission moves, ground and pound. Punk takes control and hits Darby Allen with the go to sleep. Darby rolls out onto the rolls out of the rig onto the floor. Darby Allen rolls in after a count of eight. CM Punk picks him up, still with control. Punches and leaves him in the corner. Punk hits Darby Allen with a big kick. Before Darby Allen falls out of the corner. CM Punk signals for the GTS. CM Punk picks Darby Allen up for the GTS before Darby Allen reverses. Some more great back and forth. Darby Allen takes control. He sets CM Punk up for the coffin drop. Darby Allen jumps for the coffin drop, which is leaping Backwards from the top rope, CM Punk sits up and Darby smashes his back off the bottom of the ring. Punk went for a pinfall attempt. Darby Allen countered it into a rolling schoolboy. However, CM Punk countered that into the go to sleep. Darby Allen reverses the GTS and goes for a submission. CM Punk reverses the submission. Darby Allen went for to hit a poison runner on CM Punk. CM Punk reverses into the go to sleep. This time hitting the go to sleep on Darby Allen. The crowd then counts along one, two, three. CM Punk wins, CM Punk wins, CM Punk wins. What a hell of a match, an amazing match, a master class in matches and how to do a match right. I'm going to give this a 100 out of 10. That's right. It gets a 100 this match was perfect. You know, also what was great in this match? Excalibur only spoke twice. The commentary was left to Tony, Shavani, and JR. After the match, Sting comes down to the ring. Checks on Darby Allen before offering CM Punk his hand. Punk and Sting shake hands. As Tony Schiavone says, Sting said he was going to stay away for this match, and Sting's word is gold.
Sting and Punk go to help Darby Allen up. Darby Allen pushes them away and says, I can get up on my own. Great show of respect between Punk and Darby Allen and Sting. CM Punk offers Darby Allen his hand in respect, and Darby doesn't think twice before shaking. So, next match is Paul White versus QT Marshall. And this was a five minute squash match, which was what it should have been. Marshall tried to fire up right away with punches, but ate a headbutt and a massive chop to the chest. Marshall tried to work over Paul White's hip, but White threw off a Marshall attempt at a cutter, hit a choke slam to score the pin after fighting off several members of the factory. Camarado and Solo. This was just to bring the crowd back down between the punk match and the main event and played out exactly as it was supposed to, not delivering too much of anything beyond a Paul White win. And the only reason I say it was designed to bring everything down is because there's no way Kenny Omega could even hope to capitalise off the crowd reactions and crowd momentum in any match of his. Christian, more than able to, but no. Omega is not. Paul White defeats QT Marshall via pinfall. 7 out of 10. Next is the match I really don't want to watch. Because I've got a feeling I know who's going to win already. And I know it's going to piss me off. Next is the AEW World Championship match. Kenny, the piece of shit Omega. With Don Callis in his corner. Versus Christian the Cage. So here we go. Omega tried to jump Christian before the match. But Christian moved out of the way. And the two exchanged punches before Omega... Ren sent Cage to the floor after sending Omega into the guardrail cage. Came crashing onto Omega from the top rope to the floor. Omega came back and laid a table over Cage's body on the floor before hitting a double stomp to shatter the wood. The action finally went back into the ring. That didn't last long. Omega knocked Cage from the top rope to the floor. Again back in the ring, Cage managed to hit a fan rail from the top rope. Omega tried to hit the one-winged fairy, but Cage managed to escape and nearly locked in a clover leaf before Omega grabbed his hair to escape. Cage hit a reverse DDT for a near fall. Omega fired back and began to hit a V-trigger. And a snapdragon suplex to wear down Christian Cage. Cage definitely held up a middle finger before eating another snapdragon and a V-trigger. That shot sent him through the ropes. Cage and Omega battled. 
on the ring apron, both men trying to drive the other through a set-up table on the floor before Cage speared Omega off the apron through the table. The table broke in an odd way with the legs coming through the top and cutting Cage's ribs. Cage locked in the Cloverleaf and the Good Brothers ran to the ring, forcing Cage to fight both off, countering another one-winged fairy into a kill switch for a nearfall. Don Callis ran to the ring to distract Cage, causing just enough of a delay for Omega to counter an attempt at a top rope kill switch into an abridged one-winged fairy to score the victory. Christian had a good match, proving Christian can work with absolutely anybody. Omega is just shit. Once again, the crowd clearly started to burn out a bit by the finish. Sitting through this long stacked action bullshit in this match. <coughs> Christian's performance gets a 10 out of 10. Omega's gets a 1 out of 10. So we'll give this a 9 out of 10. Of course there has to be an afterbirth after the match. The middle-aged Bucks and the good brothers came in the ring after the match and started attacking Christian. Jurassic Express shoot down to the ring to try and back a clearly out cold Christian. Well, I say out cold, he's, you know, got hit with a one-winged fairy off the top rope. He's clearly laying now. After being hit with punches and kicks from the Good Brothers and the Middle-Aged Bucks, Jurassic Express is taken out quickly. Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy before they slowly start to dismantle. Marco Cunt. And I do have to say, I was enjoying watching them slowly destroying Marco Cunt before it had to get interrupted. I couldn't have too much entertainment and too much bliss, could I? As the good brothers hit Marco Cunt with the magic killer, the crowd is chanting, yes. So it seems the crowd in Chicago hate Marco Cunt too. Kenny Omega picks up a microphone and cuts a negative five promo. The lights go black. And Adam Cole music hits. And he's keeping the baby thing, which is great. So Adam Cole, baby, is at All Elite Wrestling. The crowd immediately wake up and go nuts. A clearly outnumbered Adam Cole gets in the ring. Adam Cole then hits Jungle Boy with a super kick. It appears that Adam Cole has joined the elite. He's joined the Good Brothers 
and the middle-aged bucks and Kenny the piece of shit Omega and then the wings of the Valkyrie plays out from the ring and you know what that means Daniel Bryanson is all elite Brian Danielson is here Brian Danielson the former Daniel Bryan in WWE comes down to the ring in his typical yes stance the entire crowd have the same reaction to Brian Danielson that they did to CM Punk earlier Bryanson helps Jungle Boy, Christian Cage and Luchasaurus up as they square off and start to brawl with Kenny, the piece of shit, Omega and the Good Brothers and the Middle-Aged Bucks. Somewhere the Middle-Aged um, Carl and Luke, the Good Brothers, roll out and Adam Cole rolls in AEW Full Gear live Saturday the 13th of November 2021 the show starts with Jim Ross announcing it's Saturday night and you know what that means live Full Gear he is joined live by Tony Schiavone and Excalibur after going through the list of matches this evening, our first match is Darby Allen versus MJF. The main show got going when MJF made his way to the ring for his match against Darby Allen. He had a special robe made for the occasion and forced Justin Roberts to say he could beat his opponent with a simple headlock takeover. MJF teased a lockup but just bruised and brushed Alan across the side of his head. They locked up for real and NJF hit a few side headlock takeovers. Alan shoved him out of frustration and they squared off again. They traded holds and takedowns. In a show of great technical skill, they sold for just long enough and were able to milk the crowd Great technical skill, great throwback to old school moves, perfect. They went move for move until coming up at a stalemate, MJF nailed Darby with a hard right hand to take control. After refusing to make a clean break in the corner, Allen drove, drilled him with a suicide dive and threw MJF into the steps. MJF avoided the coffin drop on the apron and Darby Allen went crashing to the floor. MJF hit a spinning backbreaker for a close two count. MJF started to look confident as he put Darby Allen in the corner for a suplex. The risk taker counted and hit a unique stunner to bring them 
both back to the mat. He put MJF in position, but he rolled away before Allen could hit the coffin drop. Darby Allen refused to stay down after every punch and told MJF to give him more. He grabbed Allen in a scorpion deathlock, but the former TNT champion was able to counter the hold. Darby Allen started to work on his opponent's knee before applying the figure four. MJF delivered a tombstone power driver on the apron and both men fell to the floor. Both men were visibly injured. As they got back into the ring, they grabbed each other and rolled around. Inside, in an inside cradle for a few seconds, after several close two counts, Darby Allen hit a code red for a close near fall. After MJF rolled out to the floor, Darby Allen hit a coffin drop. MJF blocked a second attempt but hurt his own knee at the same time. Sting prevented Wardlow and Sean Spears from getting involved. MJF gave Allen his skateboard and dared him to take his shot and get disqualified. While the referee got rid of the skateboard, MJF hit Allen with his diamond ring to steal a pin. I actually really enjoyed it, so I'm going to give it 10 out of 10. The story of this match was MJF trying to prove that Darby Allen can't hold a candle to him in the ring and Allen trying to prove that he was more than just stunts. At first they kept things technical and had a brilliant exchange as they progressed. Each spot looked more painful for the receipt. They upped the intensity at a good pace. So they built up excitement in the crowd over time. It's hard to think of many ways this could have been improved. They left everything in the ring and gave us a great match. They set the bar high for the rest of the night. Next is the Lucha Brothers versus FTR for the AEW tag titles. Just by the way, the Lucha Brothers walk to the ring. You could tell that they're going to win this. Which means FTR are going to do the job. Which is ridiculous and it sucks. Guess who the referee was for this? The corpse himself, Rick Knox. As soon as the bell rang, all four men started brawling. It came down to Harwood and Penta in the ring for the standoff. They traded shots until Harwood started trying different pins. Phoenix and Wheeler tagged in and had their own exchange of quick moves and counters. Howard saved his partner from a double kick to the head. They were able to take out both Lucha brothers when they attempted different dives out of the ring. Phoenix hit some quick kicks to Howard before tagging in Penta to hit a pair of sling blades. FTR was stacked in the corner so the Lucha brothers could hit an assisted cannonball. The Lucha Brothers put FJR, FTR in a double submission until the corpse ref broke it up. Wheeler tried Penta's mask, tied Penta's mask to the bottom rope so Howard could stomp on him. 
Once Felix came in, he went on a rampage of flips, tricks and dance routines and strikes. Wheelie used one of the title belts as a weapon, but Phoenix still kicked out. Howard tried... Harwood tried to hit the three amigos, but Penta countered the third and hit a trio of suplexes himself. Phoenix followed up with a frog splash for a close two count. After several two counts from both teams, the Lucha Brothers pinned the wrong man because he was wearing a mask to trick the ref. As much as I love the Lucha Brothers, not the Lucha Brothers, as much as I love FTR, and FTR can have great matches with anybody, they tried their best to drag a decent match out of the Lucha Brothers, and it was not to be. (sighs) 8 out of 10. And I'm disappointed. Too much lucha bullshit. Not enough. Traditional American wrestling. Bear in mind. The Lucha Brothers work for an American wrestling company. You'd think they would do American wrestling. Rather than what they do in Mexico. Which is Lucha Libre. Lucha Libre has no part. In an American wrestling. Company. My thoughts, this match was highly anticipated before the show because the teams are considered to be amongst the best of their individual styles. Could FTR pull a good match out of them? Were they up to the challenge? Sometimes it's easy to forget that AEW has rules for tag team matches. So many of the double team stuff and stuff you see in the ring is where the referee, unlike Rick Rick Knox, the corpse referee himself, did in this match where he just decided, meh, I'm going to stop refereeing, it's fine. FTR is great at using old school tag team tactics like making the ref miss a tag from the opponent's team or distracting him so that the partner can break the rules. The Eddie Guerrero tributes were a nice touch as it was the anniversary of Eddie Guerrero's death. Some people might argue that this bout had way too many false finishes. But that's a minor complaint considering there was just too much flips tricks and too much lucha bullshit in this match FTR should have won the titles in my opinion and when the lucha brothers contract expires they can fuck off that would be my recommendation if I was talking to Tony Khan as you only need one team that does flips, tricks and dance routines. Yet you have the Middle-Aged Bucks, Lucha Brothers, Dante Martin, 
and whoever he's teaming with, and so many more, I lose count. Next, we had Daniel Bryan versus Miro. Miro was first out for his match with Daniel Bryan, determined to be the number one contender for the AEW World Championship. Daniel Bryan offered a handshake that Miro refused. They locked up and Miro easily shoved Daniel Bryan to the mat. The American Dragon hit some strikes to take control. Miro sent him out of the ring with one shot to the body. Daniel Bryan came back in and went at Miro even harder. But the Redeemer threw him off and knocked him down with a one-shoulder tackle. They went outside where Miro dropped Daniel Bryan with a belly-to-belly suplex. He rammed the American Dragon into the barricade and steps. Miro kept up the upper hand for a long time by grounding Daniel Bryan while hitting punches and kicks to the body. Daniel Bryan shoved him into the ring post and hit a flying knee from the apron. He locked Miro in a knee bar when they got back into the ring, but Miro was able to break the hold. And lifted up Daniel Bryan for a German suplex. The American Dragon hit numerous knee strikes to the head and body before he stomped Miro's head into the mat. Miro scooped him up for a powerbomb out of nowhere to get a two count. He locked Daniel Bryan in a deep camel clutch before Daniel Bryan reached the rope to force a break. Daniel Bryan then put his opponent in a bell lock, but the powerhouse escaped and delivered a few elbows to the face. Daniel Bryan grabbed him in a triangle until Miro gouged his eyes. Daniel Bryan ended up hitting a huge DDT and locking Miro in a guillotine for the win. Grade 15 out of 10. This was as hard-hitting and as brutal as you would expect with these two competitors involved. Miro's power and Daniel Bryan's technical ability mashed so well. The selling from both men was amazing. The longer this went, the harder it became to predict the outcome. At many points, I felt like Miro was going to win. While it's hard to say whether this was Daniel Bryan's best match in AEW, it is easy to say it was Miro's best match in AEW. Finding fault in this match would be difficult for even the toughest critics. If you don't like to watch two top guys like this beat the hell of each other for a shot at the title, are you sure you like watching pro wrestling in the first place? I can understand, and I even agree with, not watching the flips, tricks and dance routines, but when you get great matches like this, it is hard to find fault. Next, Jurassic Express and Christian Cage versus the Super Click. While I'm excited to see Adam Cole, 
Not so much the middle-aged bucks. So, the six-man false count anywhere match kicked off with all six men going at it right away. Christian grabbed Adam Cole while Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus went after the middle-aged bucks. Luchasaurus took out both bucks with a dive over the top rope as Christian went after Adam Cole. Since this match had way too many moving parts and way too much going on at any one point, it is too hard to describe. It's best to keep it brief because there's too many flips, tricks, dance routines, as well as Young Bucks bullshit where they make Adam Cole one of the boys and they diminish his star power even more. I could be here for hours. Absolute hours. Just with this match alone going over everything that's wrong with it. However, we saw Adam Cole busted open. A few people go through tables and several other big spots. With a ladder and the stage before Jungle Boy pinned Matt Jackson following a concerto for the win. Five out of ten. Sorry, Christian. Sorry, Adam Cole. Sorry, Jungle Boy. However, way too many flips, tricks and dance routines. Way too many weapons. Not enough selling. Too much of Luchasaurus and the Middle-Aged Bucks thinking that they're characters in video games. Oh. My thoughts. This was never going to be a technical clinic, especially with the Middle-Aged Bucks in it. This was about all six men who wanted to allegedly... Beat each other senseless. Multiple person matches are hard to manage. We said this multiple times. Planned spots have to be part of it without looking too choreographed and allowing space for improvisation. The people you would expect, Adam Cole, Christian Cage, Jungle Boy, did a great job of making everything flow, but there were times when big spots weren't sold enough for, you know, Christian and Jungle Boy doing anything to the middle-aged bucks for nearly as long as they should have been. Luchasaurus might have been the breakout star of this match as he had several standout moments and performed unique spots all with his opponents. He and Jungle Boy also had some good double team moves along the way. Overall, this match was two middle-aged bucks, too much humiliating Adam Cole, and way too much room for improvement. Some of the stuff with Brandon Cutler interfering was fucking ridiculous, but it always is. Next, Cody Rhodes and Pac versus Miro and Andreo. Hey, 
Andre and Malachi Black were out first for their tag match against Cody Rhodes and Pac. As he made his way out, Rhodes gave his belt to a fan at ringside. Pac and Andrade started for their teams, but Rhodes tagged himself in before they could make contact. Pac did the same thing a moment later. Andre Oleoli took advantage of their argument, but Pac fired back right away. Andre and Black worked well together, much better than their opponents, and kept Pack isolated for a short time. Rhodes tagged in and got in some offense. Andre almost messed up a spot on the apron, but recovered and kept it moving. Black and Andre started to have some communication issues as they tried to keep Pack away from his partner Rhodes. But Rhodes came in, almost hit Black with his finisher, but Black drilled Rhodes with Black Mass. When he wasn't the legal man, Pack sent both opponents out of the ring and hit a beautiful moonsault. It was nice to see the legendary enforcer of the Four Horsemen, Arn Anderson, at ringside, and then when Arn Anderson beat up, Josie to get him away from the ring so that he wouldn't interfere. Andreo dropped Pack across the barricade before Black tagged in and took over. Rhodes was, unable, was unavailable for a tag when Pack needed it because the ringside doctor was checking on him. And at that moment, I was like, wait, what? That seems like a heel move. Andre took advantage with a DDT on the apron for a close two count on Pack. The American Nightmare was booed as he got back up on the apron. He tagged in and took both opponents. He locked Andre Oleoli in a figure four, but Pack tagged himself in and hit a 450 to Andreo for a near four. Pack hit the black arrow for a pin on Andre Oleoli. Nine out of ten. My thoughts after each of the previous matches between these four keeping up the intensity and violence. It was nice to have this bout where they used a lot of traditional match wrestling for a bit. It was especially great to have this match where they used a lot of traditional wrestling after the bullshit we just had to watch. The spot with Andre Oleolu almost messing things up on the apron was the only weak point in this match. Everything else was performed with great precision and showmanship. Neither team getting along was an interesting dynamic because it's usually just one pair with issues in this kind of match. When you have it with both, it's just a bit meh. Next, Britt Baker versus Tia Conte for the Women's AW Championship. The guitarist from Chris Jericho's band, Fozzy, played Britt Baker to the ring for her AW Women's title match against number one contender Tia Conte. Rebel and hater 
work Britt Baker's side for the bout. Baker quickly rolled up to get to to get Conte's attention. Conte avoided the lockjaw and Baker avoided the DDT. They shoved each other over a bit before locking up again. Then Ty Conti threw around the champion with some wrist locks and some hits and hit a boot to the face before putting Baker in an arm bar over the top rope. Dr. Britt Baker pulled her back up and hit a suplex after Hater hit the ropes to trip up Conti. They traded strikes and Baker choked her challenger on the bottom rope. Conte stopped, stamped on Baker's hand to make it harder for her to apply the lock jaw. She hit a few clotheslines and a pair of running boots to the face. Conte hit a reverse German suplex for a two count. Britt Baker blocked another suplex and hit the stomp for a near fall. Rebel gave her the glove for the lockjaw, but Conte hit a cutter out of nowhere. A cutter being an RKO. For a two count, Baker spiked her with a pile driver on the apron, but when she went for her submission, Conte got to the rope. She grabbed Britt Baker for the tie KO to get another close two count. Conti avoided the lock jaw again, but seemed a little out of it as she climbed up to the ropes. She took out Rebel and Hater with a moonsault from the top rope and to the floor and dropped Baker with a swinging slam. After a bit of a struggle, Baker was able to score the win by rolling Conti up for the pin. 7 out of 10. This match had the unfortunate task of following several potential matches. Do you know what? I'm not even going to say that because the first match was great. We've had a couple that were meh, meh, meh. Yeah. But they did receive and do a respectable job and they even kept the crowd invested. The crowd were chanting respectfully at the right times. There were several times when it seemed like both competitors were hesitant before moving to the next step. But they were far and few between. Some bumps we saw were wild and both women were, will be probably feeling the effects of this match for at least a week. Conte might get the belt eventually. She is definitely on her way to the top, but it's not going to be any time soon. Next, Eddie Kingston versus CM Punk. Before the referee could call for the bell, Eddie Kingston nailed Punk with a massive back fist. And once the match started, Kingston got on top of Punk before knocking him out of the ring. 
Punk got on him in a corner. Kingston kept him and brought Punk out of the ring. Punk got him into the corner for some knees to the body, but Kingston grabbed him and threw him across the ring. He beat down Punk with lefts and rights in a corner before Punk flew at him from the middle rope with a clothesline. CM Punk went after Kingston's hand by slamming it into the steps. Eddie Kingston shoved him into the ring post. Punk started bleeding from his head almost immediately. I have to say that was the shittest looking blood I have ever seen. I also have to say that the announcers have been doing an amazing job all night on commentary. But this match just blew it away. The crowd started to boo CM Punk. Much like they did The Rock. When The Rock faced Hulk Hogan at Wrestlemania. CM Punk walked in as the babyface. And somehow in this match became a heel. Which was cool. Punk just seemed to just go with it and just roll with the flow. There was a rolling going on. CM Punk took took down Kingston with a clothesline from the apron after yelling at members of the crowd who were booing him. Punk had the upper hand for a few minutes, but Kingston tripped him. Tripped him on the top turnbuckle and unloaded on him. With clubbing blows, Kingston hit a suplex and after both men made it back to their feet, they started swaying. Punk grabbed him for the go to sleep but couldn't capitalise on it because he was so worn out. After one more GTS, CM Punk scored the win. Punk offered to shake Eddie Kingston's hand who just walked away and pushed the cameraman as he left. 15 out of 10. My thoughts. They promised us a fight and they delivered as promised. This was not a match made up of holds, counters, takedowns, flips, tricks or dance routine. This was a great match. If less than 95% of this bout was made up of strikes, it would be shocking. 2% of this match with grapples and 2% with traditional moves and takedowns like old school takedowns from grapples I mean if anyone was expecting any less than that then they were just fools the fake blood took me out of it a little bit the trash talking, the brutality of the offense all of the offense all helped make this an entertaining encounter. The crowd was split and helped make it even more enjoyable because punk was getting booed here and there. Sometimes a slobber knocker is the best way to go, and this was one of those occasions. Let's hope this is not the only time we get to see these two mix it up this i believe was the match of the year 
Next, we have the Inner Circle versus Men of the Year and American Top Team. The 10-man Minneapolis street fight between the Dinner Circle and the Alliance of the Americas Top Team and Men of the Year was up next. Sammy Guevara and Scorpio Sky started for their respective teams. For some reason, everyone else went to the apron, despite this being a street fight. Like the six-man match earlier, this will have way too much action to describe everything, so we'll just skip to the final moments. Guevara hit a massive senton from the top of a huge fuck-off ladder to put Sky through a table. Chris Jericho eventually got his hands got his hands on Dan Lambert. Remember, Dan Lambert is just a surrogate for Jim Cornette because Chris Jericho can't get his hands on Jim Cornette and can't beat Jim Cornette verbally online. He somehow talked Tony Khan into doing this. So eventually, Chris Jericho got his hands on his surrogate Jim Cornette, as well as getting him alone so he could beat him up with a Kenzo stick for a bit. Jericho ended up hitting a five-star frog splash to pin Lambert for his team. He paid tribute to Eddie Guerrero after the match with a look up to the sky. This match gets a three out of ten. My thoughts. Anything with more than just two competitors has a chance of getting out of control and losing focus on the main things in the match. The people in the ring. That may be why they chose to start with some traditional tagging in instead of getting right to the street fight part of this match. Andre Arloskovich, I think it is how you pronounce it, and Junior Del Santos did a good job of adjusting to the pro wrestling style. They weren't asked to stand on their own. They had Sky and Paige to help make their team look good. And boy, did they. The stuff with surrogate Jim Cornette is going to be a bit hit and miss depending on your sense of humour or if you like Jim Cornette or hate him. Even with him bringing down the match for some, everybody else picked up the slack on the way. It was also great to see Santana and Ortiz back in the spotlight they are one of the great tag teams in AEW they are second in my list I would have to say after FTR of course and have been out of the title picture for too long now the strength of this match was Jericho wasn't carrying the weight for his team Everybody else did that while Jericho focused on his rivalry with the surrogate Jim Cornette, Dan Lambert. In the end, this was a little more than a series of spots and short 
sequences. There was little to no storytelling because the because it was so hard in a match involving way too many competitors, it would probably have been more fun for the live crowd than like myself, these those people watching at home. On a show with so many other strong performers, this match felt so short. And I'm comparing that to the Bucks match. You know, even with the middle-aged Bucks, this match and the middle-aged Bucks match is on the same page for me. Next, Kenny Omega versus Adam Page for the AW World title. And remember what I thought going into this match on the last week last couple of weeks Alpha Zone is that Adam Page is losing and that and that Kenny the piece of shit Omega is going into a feud with Daniel Bryan however before the match started I was very pissed off with who the company announced their latest signing was for a company that says they're all inclusive and they take the concerns of women seriously, for some reason they have signed Jay Lethal, who in TNA back in the day, in Impact and in Ring of Honor, all have had multiple complaints about him sexually harassing women. The fact that there are two open cases of him for sexual harassing women that he worked with in the locker room, still open at the moment, is a great big fuck-off blunder on Tony Khan's part. Not only that, it just goes to show that all that we're inclusive and we respect women's rights is just a load of bullshit from Tony Khan he'll sign who he wants and use any excuse to sign people he doesn't want so yes Jay the Predator Lethal was announced that he signed to the company he challenged Sammy Guevara for the TNT title on Dynamite and for some reason Sammy Guevara didn't say, No, you're a sexual predator. I'm not giving you a shot at the title. Are you fucking mad? He just—he didn't say that. He decided to accept the match right away. Page received a special entrance, complete with his trusty horse. Remember last year, Adam Page's horse... Hunter Hurst Helmsley died a couple of days after Full Gear. So this is a new trusty horse. After the official introductions, sorry, after the official introductions, the referee called for the bell and the main event got underway. They fought to get the upper hand, but neither man could get the clear lead. 
For too long, chops were thrown, forearms were hit, and the crowd cheered along with each strike. They took the fight out of the ring, and they kept trying new ways to take each other out. Hangman hit a huge clothesline from the top rope for a one count. Uh, honestly, if Hangman Adam Page keeps doing that, one day he's going to hurt himself. He's going to fuck up and hurt himself. Kenny, the piece of shit Omega, began to build some momentum and started to take control. Omega set up for a springboard but changed his mind. The momentarily delay allowed Adam Page to get in a few shots before Omega hit a hurricane runner. Hangman drilled him with a boot to the face a moment later. Whenever one man got close to hitting one of his finishers, the other would turn the tables. They went back and forth this way for several minutes until Page countered the one-winged fairy. Omega hit a Tiger Driver 98 for a close two count. Page removed a camera from the ring post and stood on it to dive to Omega with a clothesline to drive him through the table at ringside. Omega saw the buckshot come in and moved back. Hammond hit a rolling elbow and a pop-up powerbomb. Omega pulled the ref into the buckshot to avoid the impact. Page hit the dead eye and Aubrey ran out to ringside to make a close two count. They traded big strikes until Omega hit a few knee a few knees to the face before Page blocked the V trigger. Omega hit a second. Hangman turned him inside out with a clothesline as the crowd started chanting AEW. Then we got some bullshit. The middle-aged Bucks limped towards the ring as Omega hit a brutal back suplex. Page popped back up and hit the same move. He hit Omega. He hit Omega with a one-winged fairy for a near fall. He nailed Omega. With a two, with two buck shots, as the Bucks nodded their approval, he made the cover and pinned Omega to win the title. Should have ended here, but no. The Dork Order came out to celebrate with the new champion. They surrounded him for a big group hug and lifted him up on their shoulders to close out the show. This does get. A 10 out of 10. I was very, 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 very. And the Alpha says very surprised that they let Adam. They let Hangman Adam Page win the AEW Championship. But I'm glad. My thoughts. After dwelling on this. For about 30 minutes. This is one of AEW's longest storylines. The, sa the saga of Omega and Page 
goes back to the first events AEW held and has continued in different forms for over two years. The story has been one of Paige not believing in himself and forsaking his friends as they found their own championship success. But it has also been one of former friends, redemption and betrayal. It has been one of him, of Adam losing all track of everything and becoming some weird alcoholic for a while. A happy drunk, a sad drunk, a drunk drunk. It was very, very weird. However, this has been one of AEW's greatest triumphs, I would have to say. I wasn't sure how this would go, but they surprised me. We know would Adam Page being in this match, it would be great. And Adam Page would hit a lot of big spots and make, make Kenny Omega look better than he had any right to. This match was always going to be high because of Hangman's ability to cap off this story in a satisfying and meaningful meaningful way. They stuck the landing, especially with the Bucks seemingly acknowledging that it was Paige's time and choosing not to interfere. This was a great ending to the pay-per-view. And honestly, I'm looking forward to seeing where we go from here. We know at some point Daniel Bryan has a title shot against new AEW World Heavyweight Champion Hagman Adam Page at some point in the future. And now we turn to AEW from Wednesday the 15th of December 2021. And remember this episode of AEW Dynamite is called Winter is Coming. AEW opens up with Excalibur saying, Welcome to Wednesday Night AEW Dynamite Live. You know what that means. Winter has come. And from the excitement in his voice, I'm guessing this is the first time all year Excalibur has too. Tonight's show for the second year in a row with AEW Winter is Coming is from Curtis Kurtwell Center, Dallas, Texas. Just a shout out to JR, Jim Ross, the voice of wrestling. I hope his cancer treatment is going well on his leg and his back. His voice, his experience is greatly missed and we hope to have him back soon. Excalibur forgets to mention that Taz, as well as Tony Schiavone, are at ringside with him, are in the announcer's booth. The first match is for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. The American Dragon, Daniel Bryan, versus World Heavyweight Champion, Hangman Adam Page. This match should be good. 
Daniel Bryan comes to the ring first, and Taz reminds you all of Daniel Bryan's nasty deeds since turning heel. The crowd somewhat booed Daniel Bryan. Then hangman Adam Page comes out, and the entire crowd begins to come to life and cheer him. This is the first time since he has won the AEW title we've actually seen him in a match. So yeah, kind of a bit, hmm, and suspect there. You have the traditional heel in Hangman Adam Page and a traditional heel in Daniel Bryan. Taz says Hangman Adam Page has to be careful in his first title defence as if he retains the title tonight. His first title defence sets a precedent for how he will be able to control it going forward if he can control his temper and only flare it out in such instances when it is needed going from historical points of view and looking at it from an historical point people will not try and push his buttons if he loses it early and can't control it that will be what people go for in the future so yes Taz says this first title defence if he is able to retain sets the precedent for how he will be treated going forward. The idiot known as the Dapper Yapper himself, I'm not going to brace this idiot by calling him by his name, announces that the following contest is a 60 minute time limit. It is a one on one match. Yeah, no shit. He then says it's for the AEW world title. No, 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 Justin Roberts, you moron. It's for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. Come on, read your own graphics. After introducing Daniel Bryan, Justin Roberts then tries his best Paul Heyman impression when he says, and here is the reigning and defending. No, no, no. You can't do a poor him. Just focus on doing the dapper yapper, okay? I can't do a poor him. So I don't try to do a poor him impression. This moron needs to learn his place in the world. And it is not doing impressions of successful wrestling people. When Hangman Adam Page's graphic comes up, it says in his 2021 record is 18 and 2. At the top of his graphic, I see whoever is messing with him is still messing with him, where it says still has a frustrating resent resentment of Game of Thrones. Well, if this is very true, if it is very true, then I agree with the Hangman, because the last three seasons of Game of Thrones was shit. And fuck D&D. Those arsehole writers that came up. With the TV series of Game of Thrones. After they ran out of book stuff. How do you run out of book stuff? 
Now there was enough book material to go until 2030. But these morons wanted it over. So they fucked the storyline. Fuck them. Damn it, graphic guy in AEW. Now you piss me off. Damn it, graphic guy. I curse you and I curse your cow. Hangman Adam Page and Daniel Bryan lock up straight away. Great traditional grappling. What a great collar and elbow tie-up. Cowboy Adam Page. Hangman Adam Page, I should say. Crowd of chanting cowboy shit. Put me off. Backs Daniel Bryan into the corner. A slow paced opening with lots of traditional wrestling moves, which I think was perfect. Lots of selling on both parts when called for. Gave way to the challenger. Daniel Bryan bending page backwards with his leg lock and his head tapped, trapped in a dragon sleeper. When the champion fought back, Daniel Bryan cut him off and targeted the midsection, then dropped a knee to his back and shoulders as the show headed to break. Again, Selling from both men here. Taken nice and slowly. You know. Just everything perfect. After the break. Page finally created separation. And mounted his comeback. Wiping his challenger out with a taupe suicida before adding a moonsault from the top rope. Back inside the squared circle, Daniel Bryan received another moonsault, and after an appropriate amount of selling, Daniel Bryan recovered and transitioned from one submission hold to another, locking looking to felt to force a tap from his opponent <coughs> I'm sorry guys I'm still ill oh god a nasty bump on the ring left page nursing a shoulder injury that Daniel Bryan exploited repeatedly diving him into ring posts and Busting him open in the process. Daniel Bryan. Pounded away at the wound. And caught the champion. With a flying knee. Daniel Bryan delivered a German suplex. And immediately sought. For the cattle mutilation. Think. Cripple across face. Page fought to the ropes and forced a rope break. Outside the ring, Daniel Bryan accidentally kicked the ring post 
when aiming for Hangman Adam Page, injuring his shin and creating a weakness for the Hangman to exploit. The challenger regained control after several moments, peppering Page with kicks until his left leg gave out. Then Hangman Adam Page took full advantage and delivered a tombstone power driver. Now remember, Daniel Bryan has had a history of neck injuries. So when I saw that, I went, ouch. As people who have had neck injuries and have taken a tombstone power driver in the past have attested that it sends a vibration up their spine, which always hurts the next day. So yes, I was very concerned for Daniel Bryan. Legitimately. After far too long, in my opinion, selling. Because, you know, that worried me. Daniel Bryan answered with a knee from the top rope to the arm of Hangman Adam Page. Hangman Adam Page delivered a dead eye on the apron as the action escalated. Page proceeded to launch himself from the top rope, missing his rival and crashing into the timekeeper. And the timekeeper's table. During another commercial break, Daniel Bryan exposed the arena floor and delivered a DDT on the concrete. Hangman Adam Page responded with a German suplex attempt at a lariat failed to leave. An impact thanks to his injured arm, targeted by Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan tried a back suplex from the top, but Page landed on his feet and rocked him with a discus lariat. With that, we were at the 55-minute mark. Daniel Bryan stomped the face of Hangman Adam Page. The title holder caught him with another dead eye for a two count. Page stomped his opponent's head in as a nice bit of revenge for his dork order friends. Hangman tried for the buckshot lariat, but Daniel Bryan caught him and applied the label lock. Hangman Adam Page fought out and delivered a buckshot lariat, but could not make the cover before the ring bell signalling the end of the 60-minute bout time limit. Result, Page fought Daniel Bryan to a time limit draw. Therefore, still the AEW World Heavyweight Champion, Hangman Adam Page. And I have to say, I love this match. So I am going to give it I'm going to give it 100 out of 10. This is very, very high praise from me.
a hundred out of ten. Now my thoughts. My thoughts, if this is not a match of the year candidate, it is the match of the year. In the first opportunity to prove he belongs in the position as champion, Hangman Adam Page did just that here for 60 minutes. The moment was never too big, nor were the time constraints too long. Daniel Bryan was more than equal to go 60 minutes, and that goes a long way in establishing credibility for those that doubted Hangman Adam Page. Daniel Bryan continued his hot streak here, adding another extraordinary performance to his resume. He was advertised in this year's big epic encounter and further sealed himself with this match as the wrestler of the year. His intense aggression, violence and relentlessness as he has transitioned from babyface to heel and this match, especially as a heel, was deserved. I thought this was a great way to end this match as you couldn't have Daniel Bryan lose this quickly into his AW career. However, you couldn't have Hangman Adam Page lose in his first title defence or else what was the point in him taking the title off of Kenny Omega? Sorry to mention that piece of shit while talking about this great match, but it has to be said. But yes, this was the best decision they could have made. After the match, I have to say, there was a rain down from booze from everybody in the arena and myself watching at home. As we were all on the same page. We all wanted more. And if AEW are smart. They will put it off for a while. But then we will get more. And AEW will reap the rewards. If this is what they do. Oi oi oi. Talk about going from the penthouse. To the ground floor. In quick succession. We then go. To a backstage segment. With Bobby Fish. Looking like a superstar. Adam Cole looking like a superstar. And the middle aged Bucks. Again. Dressed like. Christmas versions of Grand Theft Auto villains. Pulling faces. Smirking. Trying to look tough. Road warrior-esque. And pulling the road warrior... Kind of look. And you can hear those noises coming from him during this promo. Adam Cole uses more of his superstar credibility. 
and wastes it, where he says, best friends, when are you morons? When are you marks? When are you idiots going to learn to just stop messing with us? Leave us alone. When are you going to learn? As the young bucks, he says, Adam Page, uh, Adam Page, Adam Cole, See that last match? It's still on my mind. Adam Cole. They're middle-aged. They're the middle-aged bucks. Adam Cole says the middle-aged bucks destroyed Chuck E. Cheese and and Rocky Ramiro on AEW Dynamite last week. Which, eh, there was some tomfoolery going on now. If that is how you describe it. You're stretching the limitations here, Mr. Cole. With some idiot playing, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year on one of those child's kazoos in the background. Got a feeling it's Cutlet. The entire way through this promo, Adam Cole then says, With you best friends at full strength... On Friday, we destroyed you on Friday. Which again, they did their shitty little three-person super kick. Not really destroying. Bobby Fish then speaks and says, It seems like every time we encounter these jokers, we see them, we divide them, and we conquer them. After all, Trent made his big return. We came, we saw, we conquered. The middle-aged bucks then take turns, one-upping each other, when they decide that, how about on Rampage this week, we have an eight-man tag. No, please don't. Please don't. Bobby Fish, Adam Cole... And Buck Hogan say, Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Then, Buck Hogan of the middle-aged bucks and says, And I have an idea too. How about they up the ante? They will destroy that stupid minivan, take Trent's mother, and then suffocate her by kissing her. I mean, really, middle-aged bucks? You're that determined to kill the superstardom from Bobby Fish and Adam Cole. Adam Cole then says, as great as an idea as that sounds, you see him rolling his eyes. Next week on the Christmas edition of AEW Dynamite. I have a surprise for you two, and you two will love it, referring to the middle-aged bucks. The one that dresses and acts like he's Randy Savage. Matt, no, Nick. Says, what is it? I need to know now. And Matt then says, no, 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 no. I love surprises. We'll wait till next week. Yes, we'll wait till next week. Adam Cole then says, trust me, you'll love it. And Bobby Fish has a devious smile. 
please, 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 please give me what I want and just have Adam Cole and Bobby Fish kick the shit out of the middle-aged bucks. So they're off TV for a long, 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 long time. Please. That segment was very shitty and it destroyed more of the star power from Hangman. Hangman. From Adam Cole and from Bobby Fish. So it only gets a 7 out of 10. We then move on to the next match, which is a 20 minute time limit, accompanied by Sean Spears, the chairman, and Wardlow's Abilla Buddy. Wardlow. The referee for this is Rick Knox, so there will either be some tomfoolery going on, or he will decide to actually referee. There is no middle grounds with this guy. And his opponent from Florida, Matt Chokeslam by God Seidel. Bell rings. Matt Chokeslam by God Seidel runs over to Wardlow, and Wardlow just powers him into the corner, just launches him. Wardlow stands in the centre of the ring. Why Matt Chokeslam by God Seidel pops back up. Seidel kicks Wardlow's lower leg and then goes for a jumping kick on Wardlow's face. Wardlow ducks. Wardlow then grabs Matt Chokeslam by God Seidel and throws him into the corner. Wardlow chases in. However, Matt Chokeslam by God Seidel goes for a... I don't even know what he was going for. Wardlow, however, catches him. For about two minutes, Matt Seidel then has a brief flurry of momentum between Wardlow firing up here and there. Wardlow then decided he has had enough and he screams at the referee, I have had enough, time to end this. He just grabs Seidel, throws him into the corner, hits him a couple of times, then grabs him, hits him with one powerbomb, picks him up and delivers a second powerbomb. Sean Spears gets a microphone and says, Wardlow, he ain't getting up, man. Pin him. Pin him already. The crowd start chanting one more powerbomb and Sean Spears tells them, no, just pin him already, Wardlow. Wardlow then picks him up and powerbombs him one more time. One, two, three, Wardlow wins. Sean Spears then appears in the ring saying, Wardlow, you are the man. But there was one too many. We don't get paid by the hour, baby. Hold on, hold on. He gives Wardlow the microphone. And then series to then starts a series of unloading chair shots onto Matt Chokeslam by God Seidel. Sean Spears then says, That's what I'm talking about. It's Wardlow and whoops, his phone goes off. He then says, It's MJF. We need to get him some ice and champagne before his retaining of his dynamite diamond ring later. Result. 
Wardlow defeated Matt Chokeslam by God Seidel. I'm going to give this a 10 out of 10. Another week, another Wardlow domination. We have seen these teases of a split between him and MGAF for so long that they are going to lose their effectiveness eventually. AW has to execute the breakup or fans will lose interest in the payoff. Luckily, MJF is so unlikable that that moment Wardlow jacks him up with a clothesline or a powerbomb. The big man will forever be made. And in my opinion, if booked right, Wardlow could be AEW's Brock Lesnar. Next, we skip backstage to a backstage segment where Ty Conti and Penelope Ford are cutting promos on each other. It makes absolutely no sense until Ty Conti then says, Hope to see you Friday, bitch. And then, like that, it skips. Confusing segment. Um... Two out of ten, because it made absolutely no sense. Absolutely no sense. We then go and just like that to Malachi Black. Somewhere with a deck of cards cutting a promo. And he says, what makes a house strong? Is it the bricks, the water, the concrete? Or is it the people inside the house that make it strong? Foundations of a house. They have to have the exact circumstances and you have to understand them. Like understanding the basic nature of humans is violent. Which is why humans have always sought after blood sports and violence. And war. Knowing that violence is a part of who you are and acceptance of that fact is key. Not fighting it, embracing it. Malachi Black says there is no species on this planet that is crueler to each other than the human race. Again, that is a fact. Understand that that is a fact. You can either be embarrassed and deny it, or you can embrace it and draw power from it and its darkness. If you accept it, therefore you will not question the teachings that the house teaches you. You will appreciate its blessing no matter how destructive. Understand that that can only be done if you place the house before everything and everybody else and also understand that not everybody will grasp the concept of the teachers you bestow teachings you dispose it upon them understands that the house is bigger than you the house is bigger than them understand that the house always wins the video in the background is him walking through a house after playing cards 
explaining this. He then gets a cloak put on him. He then walks into a room where he spits black mist in somebody's face, puts a chain around them, and then says, you are so much more, it then fades out. Very creepy and eerie promo, which is exactly what it should be from him. So, 10 out of 10. Next, Hukaru Shida and Serena D wrote their third and their decisive chapter in their rivalry this Wednesday night. What started off as a red-hot intense brawl settled down as Deeb worked over her opponent, showing the world why she is the professor of professional wrestling. Serena Deeb dominated Sheeta, and honestly, if the match had ended here quickly, and Deeb had won this quickly, it would have been perfect. However, Hukaru Shida fought out of a submission attempt and created a separation with a falcon arrow. Deep re-established dominant control and then tried to and then executed, I should say, a half grab. Sheeta fought to the ropes and survived the submission attempt. She launched Deep into the turnbuckle and scored a jackknife pin for the win. Result Hukaru Sheeta defeated Serena Deeb. 5 out of 10. So yes, I honestly had to think about that. So allow me to give you my thoughts. Nkara Shita and Serena Deeb have fantastic in-ring chemistry and it has been documented every time they have done battle in 2021. Their first two encounters set the bar so incredibly high. While this f- third match did not live up to it in any means. It was a weak match. And Tony Khan, you should feel very, very disappointed in yourself. Very disappointed. Just... Oh, God. It made no sense. Hukaru Shida winning here was the wrong call in my opinion as Serena Deeb should have won this and dominantly as she is still a threat to the TPS title. But nope, Tony Khan didn't think that far ahead. It has been the best feud that nobody asked for 
but now it needs a lot of time to breathe. And at some point in the future, we can return to this pairing down the line. But a long way down the line. We then go backstage where Taz has a... What's the word I'm looking for? A montage of Hook's match and Hook training playing where Taz speaks briefly and says that, look, Hook has been training his entire life. He's my son. He naturally has these gifts. He's naturally gifted in the ring. He knows what to do. It's his basic instinct as my son. Where most kids go out and their instinct is to play football. And they can just kick a ball instantly. Hook always knew how to wrestle. Hook's instincts. Hook's basic instincts. Are like mine. Are wrestling. After that video. Which gets a 10 out of 10. Because it was great. It was everything it needed to be. It reminded you. Of what Hook did last week. It reminded you of his debut. How overpowering and how monstrous he was. Even though Del Sol was a twat and refused to sell. Until Hook forced him to. And the compliment from Excalibur after the match saying. He's a member of Team Taz and wow you guys just build assassins was great. We then go backstage. Where Eddie Kingston wants to talk. He says, look, Garcia and 2.0. I'm really tired of this. You guys are just in my way. Mox isn't here, so I can't team up with him. You guys jumped my boy Monkey, a.k.a. Ortiz. So, guess what? It's going to be me, my best friend, my other best friend, PMP, a.k.a. Penta. And his brother, Phoenix. God, are we going to see the Lucha Brothers do Lucha instead of American-style wrestling again? Damn it. Just do that on AEW Rampage, please. Don't fuck up an episode of Dynamite with this shit. Against you three and whoever you guys pick. Well, Eddie Kingston, Tag Team Champions, Daniel Garcia, and 2.0. That, that... That's a balanced match. Why do they need an extra person, Kingston? Eddie then says, I'll see you on Rampage, boys. It's a 10-man tag match. So that explains it. So Eddie must have one person up his sleeve then. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well... They're doing it on Rampage, so that's good. So they seems like they're gonna relegate all the shit to rampage. Sorry to classify Eddie Kingston as in a shit match and a shit, but hey, if he's gonna be doing lucha with the Lucha Brothers in an American company in an American style wrestling ring that has for a hundred and fifty years done traditional American wrestling, Consequences, mate. Consequences. 
7 out of 10 promo. Next, MJF comes down to the ring. The idiot, the dapper yapper, then says, Ladies and gentlemen, your main event is a 22-minute time limit, or TV time remaining, and is for the AEW Dynamite Diamond Ring. MJF doesn't claim he doesn't claim to be the best in the world he just is once the match started MJF dodged an aerial assault leaving Dante Martin to crash and burn he proceeded to control the bout grounding Dante Martin in pursuit of a second consecutive 
second consecutive rotation um, retaining of his dynamite diamond ring. As Martin fought back and quickened the pace, MJF found himself on the defensive and in dire need of answers. A series of pinfall reversals indicating Martin calling back MJF's claims that he could win the match with an Excuse me a minute. That he could win the match with a headlock ensued before Martin delivered a nosedive. FTR champion and Team Taz leader Ricky Starks put the heels leg on the rope during a pin attempt. The distraction allowed MJF to recover and apply the salt of the earth for the submission win. After the match, FTR hit the ring to celebrate the victory until the arena darkened. When the lights came back on, Sting, Darby, Allen unloaded on the heels. Punk hit the ring moments later, chasing the pinnacle from the ring and standing still. CM Punk, the best in the world, then issued a challenge for a match was made. And apparently it was made official as Punk, Sting and Allen will face FTR and MJF as part of AEW's Holiday Bash next Wednesday. Result, MJF defeated Dante Martin. Dante Martin being a somewhat heel, somewhat baby face that betrayed Team Taz, so Team Taz costing him the win made perfect sense here. Gonna give this a 9 out of 10 just because Dante didn't sell as much as he should have done in the match. My thoughts, Martin is indeed a star of the future and MJF is a star in the here and now. They had a solid main event to close out the show. It wasn't quiet and it wasn't quite the quality of a match like he had with Darby Allen at full gear, but it was high energy about we saw the right guy go over all while escalating Martin's feud with Team Taz. More importantly, it allowed MJF to retain the ring, which has been a go-to weapon for the villain. The main event for next week's show is going to be electric. It will be the first time Punk gets his hands on on MJF and rekindles a feud between FTR, Sting and Darby Allen, which wrote its first chapter at Dynamite Grand Slam in September. And that was my thoughts for Winter is Coming.